Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey guys, I'd like to take a second to shout out the network that helps distribute our show, Armchair Media. Armchair is a collection of 50 plus podcasts, including ours, trying to localize the sports world a bit more. Uh, we've been with them for, I don't know, like six months or so, but we have really enjoyed working with Andrew and the rest of the team. Saints Happy Hour podcast, you guys have heard us talk about them in the past, but starting June 1st, Bet Online will serve as the title sponsor for Armchair Armchair Network, as well as our show. Pretty cool, right? Uh, gone are the days of, of mowing our respective lawns. Now we are on to online sports gambling. So I guess that's a step uh, forward. Also, I want to shout out The Nine Club. It's the world's largest skateboarding podcast, hosted by professional skaters Chris Roberts and Kelly Hart. Uh, perhaps Kevin knows who they are. You can follow them at The Nine Club. To see all things Armchair, search Armchair Media wherever you get your pods. And make sure to check out Armchair's website, armchairmedianetwork.com. If I could have just one more minute of your time, look, following the senseless murders of Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, countless other black community members, we want to ensure we do what we can to make a tangible impact on those communities. So Armchair Media will be issuing two $500 scholarships per semester to aspiring black creatives. We're also working with organizations that may allow us to crowdfund. Now, thanks to donations by myself with the help of our friends at Saints Happy Hour Podcast and uh, one of our listeners, Music Is My Refuge, that number should potentially grow to four. Please DM me if you want to contribute. Look, if you've ever been dismissed as having an unrealistic career path, if you butted heads with parents or teachers, if you have feared to express yourself or, or put your work into the world due to backlash, please apply. We recognize that there are creatives out there who may have bypassed college, who, who didn't get into college because maybe their passions didn't translate to college, or, or maybe you simply didn't have enough money to go to college. This is why there's only three requirements. An aspiring, creative African-American, you must be under the age of 21, and you have to submit a project. That can be graphic design, photography, writing, audio, video, journalism, creative writing, whatever. Just submit it, scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. That's scholarship at armchairallamericans.com. We can't wait to see your application. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Pals fans, welcome to another episode of the Bird Calls Podcast. I'm your host and contributor to thebirdrights.com, Preston Ellis. <sighs> Grub, you've been one of the leaders throughout New Orleans, throughout everything that's transpired over the past couple of weeks. May 25th was George Floyd. Two days later, Donald Trump uh, saying, if they loot, we shoot. He since took it down. Uh, we've got, you know, a Drew Brees apology, 24 hours. He's since taken it down. Talk about the level of unrest and more importantly, the action being taken going forward do you expect that we can instigate meaningful change? How optimistic are you? There's always a duality whenever these kinds of situations happen, whether you're optimistic because you hope that 
at this point, people will hear and see enough to make change. And then there's the part of you that looks at the history and says, we've done this, we've yelled, we've screamed, and we've not been heard. They're the part that makes me more optimistic. And I've had some great conversations this week with um, mentors of mine who have, who saw the 1960s and the activism and athletics then. And I've had some conversations with some younger athletes as well in the last few days. And I think it is really encouraging to see this generation of athletes where maybe even five or six years ago, we were talking about the death of the outspoken athlete. Was anybody, was it all just corporate? And these situations are revealing who in the world, not just in sports, but in our communities, who stands for what? And that's important because people need to make their decisions with their eyes fully open. Well, however you feel, I think it's important to know exactly how people stand on these issues. And this is forcing us to have these conversations and forcing people to have uncomfortable situations where they are admitting to or facing um, things that they've never faced within themselves. And I think the biggest thing is how do we hold each other accountable, whether it's the athletic community, whether it's the business community, whether it's our neighbors, our coworkers, ourselves, because a lot is going to get said in the weeks and months to follow. But where are we two years from now? Where are we four years from now? Are we still talking then about peaceful protests from athletes? Are we still talking then about police killings in the street? If we're doing that four years from now, then I haven't accomplished much. But I am really encouraged that it's in 50 states, that it's in every, you know, it's in countries around the world, that this struggle is international, that there's, there's solidarity and sympathy and empathy for what people in America are going through and have been enduring for 401 years at this point. And that's what makes me hopeful. That's what makes me hopeful. And it's a really broad-based thing to see, again, to see Europeans, to see African-Americans, to see whites, to see Asians, Hispanics, confronting their own prejudices, confronting their own racism, and dealing with their problems within themselves and ourselves and our communities. Man, that part is optimistic, but you always take everything that happens with a grain of salt when people start to promise you that it's going to get better. Yeah, Ali, I'm going to turn you uh, this over to you, our editor-in-chief at the birdrights.com. Wow, it's going really well for me. Uh, obviously, yes. emotional time. <laughs> Ali and I have, have been going through our own personal struggles, and it's obviously taken uh, their toll this week. Ali, it's, it's not enough to be not racist. It's not enough to be anti-racist. Uh, there's also a degree of action that needs to be taken, uh, a positive action, uh, reinforcing action. Uh, we're trying to do our part at Armchair Media Network, uh, forming these uh, potentially four scholarships, thanks to the help to the guys at saintshappyhour.com. Uh, if you look at social media, Ali, I feel like you see more action, more support, more activity than ever before. Is that the impression you're getting? Yes, without a doubt. In years past, the, the people who need to be speaking on this topic just turned a blind eye. The vast majority of people, right? That's why Colin Kaepernick's kneeling took such a beating from the NFL, from owners, from people in high positions in government. But now you can't avoid it. Now it's everywhere. It, as David mentioned, 50 states across the world. It's now invading every single platform, whether it's sports, entertainment. It doesn't have to now just be news related. Everybody's talking about it, and that's a good thing. 
Because now we're seeing change before our eyes. I'll just point out a couple of examples. The, the, the original four that were responsible for murdering George Floyd, it went from one from them losing their job, right? And then one was charged with third degree murder. But in days since, we saw that change to a second degree murder and the other three were also charged. Yesterday, for instance, we saw um, up in Buffalo, New York, I believe, police moving on protesters who were peacefully protesting. One older man walks up to them and they, they, they used excessive force, pushed him down, and all of a sudden he's bleeding out of his ear. It, it was shocking to see. You can, you can see it. It's everywhere on social media. But hours after that, the police department's spokesperson said he tripped and fell. But guess what? All because of this now being out in the open, that the fact that so many are not turning a blind eye, they changed their stance and they suspended two officers immediately. And hopefully we'll be learning more of the situation soon. So you're seeing now change happening when there's something done wrong regarding police brutality. You're now seeing differences, what used to be differences of opinion, people trying to make Black Lives Matter turning into an, a different platform or somehow changing it, adding to it, taking away from the original purpose. It, it's definitely a different time now. And I'm just hoping that this ride can be ridden for as long as it needs to be to where we actually get to the point that real change happens across America. Yeah, and something that uh, I've been spending a lot of time on uh, and I've donated to, eight can't wait, take action right now. Go to eight dot, uh, go to, sorry, the number eight, can't wait.org. It talks about data uh, proving that if if you remove eight use of violence techniques taught to police officers, it can reduce crime by as much as 72%. Uh, it's something really interesting that I think everybody should spend some time getting to. Um, we're going to talk more about this on future podcasts. Unfortunately, our time is limited, and I know that you guys want to take your mind off of this for a few moments. We're going to talk basketball, a lot happening this week. Um, and we'll have Chris Connor and Jamal on later in the week to to talk about um, all of the matters that are frankly more important than basketball. But for now, let's let's focus on basketball for a few minutes. We'll we'll go back to grub. Twenty two team format. Everybody's going to play eight regular season games. Uh, if you come within four games of the eighth seed as a ninth seed, you get uh, a play in tournament. You have to defeat the eighth seed by two games. Or if you are the eighth seed, you only uh, face single elimination if you can. Uh, take down the ninth seed. Grub, talk about your reaction to this new enacted policy. There was not going to be a perfect solution that made everybody happy. Um, but I think this is as close to fair as you can get. Um, if you were going to have to go beyond the, the 16 and knowing that you had teams uh, that were within striking distance when the season was interrupted, it takes certainly takes away a lot of the Pelicans' advantage. Um, I think statistically they went from what sixty uh, percent chance of making the playoffs to somewhere now around a fifteen to twenty percent chance of making the playoffs. Uh, so their work is certainly cut out for them, but they've gotten an opportunity. And as they said themselves, they put themselves in this position um, by not winning enough games. So they've gotten all they can ask for an opportunity. And as far as for the rest of the league. Um, you know, it, the owners voted for it 29 to one. It could have been 30 to nothing if Portland would have gotten a concession. So I think the main thing for them is that they get the coffers rolling and, and get some money in the, in the pocket before next season begins. And so, you know, hopefully the basketball will be of good quality, but you know, that'll be something that we'll see. But at, at the very least for us as basketball fans and, and, and people who cover the game, 
we have something to talk about. There's just going to be a lot of things that have to get ironed out in the details. Um, but at least we have a structure for a season. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I frankly am surprised that it was able to come together in this format. I thought the the simplest explanation was the 16-team format, which Sam Amick reported could net the NBA alone as much as $900 million. However, I think the fact that they were able to enact this speaks to the the power and the level of respect that Adam Silver uh, leads now, Ali, um, are, are you surprised that so many teams were, were able to buy into this? And how concerned are you, instead of having 16 teams, their families, their officials, their coaches, we now have 22. All these teams are going to be playing against each other. So if a contagion does enter this bubble, it could potentially spread like wildfire. Does that concern you? No, I'll address your last question first. <laughs> no, it doesn't concern me. They're planning on not allowing the families to accompany players until they start at least the playoffs. So it won't be until, you know, when there's when the field is reduced to 16 teams. There was even some talk of waiting until they get past the first round. So therefore, it would be just eight teams. So no, I'm not too worried about it. To go from 16 to 22 teams, I feel like, you know, my gut tells me, that's not suddenly exponentially increasing any risks regarding the pandemic that's going on. You're suddenly not going to expose or have problems containing, you know, a certain bubble, whatever you're trying to preserve or get enough tests. You know, I feel like it's just such an incremental change. It's, it's not that big. So I, I'm not worried from that viewpoint at all. But as far as your first question, I'm trying to remember exactly what you asked. Uh, refresh my mind real quick. Uh, just talking about I'm the playing with my dogs that are attacking me. Sorry. No, no worries at all. We've all got a lot going on in our personal lives right now. Um, just in terms of what Adam Silver was able to pull. Oh, yeah, off. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, I'm not I'm not surprised. No, because they I've heard that the most prominent voice in these meetings actually came from Michael Jordan. He commands, of course, so much respect. Right. Maybe the best player ever to play the game to lace him up. And he said, we have to start with the fact that we need to keep the playoff the traditional format where it's seven game series, you know, you got the same amount of rounds. So when you go from that, it was just logical from what I've heard, you have to give up, give some kind of ramp up, right. For these teams, you can't just jump straight into the playoffs. You've got to give them some time to warm up, establish some chemistry, the players to get some legs back. You don't want them jumping in and playing all of a sudden 40 minutes, right? Cause that's what playoff basketball is. So you want them starting off with these eight games, especially the playoff teams, Give them at least 20, 25 minutes of run. That's the safest way too, right? To prevent injury risk. And then if you're already doing all that, you're already having the, some kind of warm-up schedule, why not, in Adam Silver's eyes, make it more interesting to fans by having this additional um, format being expanded to allowing these other six teams in? Because that's really going to be where the interest is, right? If the NBA had just done the 16 teams plus the warm-up games, there wouldn't have been nearly as much interest. There wouldn't have been something gravity or compelling to watch. Now there suddenly is because all these teams fighting to get in, every game's going to be of playoff intensity. It's, it's going to be, every possession is going to matter. So I think that's the gripping part. You're going to have Zion in these games. You're going to have not only John Moran, but like I said, Zion, Damian Lillard. So I think that is what it was so enticing. I think that's why this format came about. So no, I'm not surprised at all that this is where we're at today. 
Now, Grub, I'm writing about this for thebirdrights.com, but I want to get your perspective on it. Uh, obviously, for those lower tier teams who are just fighting just uh, for their very lives to get in, uh, there's a lot at stake. But when you talk about teams one through 12, uh, the Lakers, for example, have a significant five game lead. The Milwaukee Bucks have a seven game lead. The Clippers only have a, a one and a half game lead over the Nuggets, but that doesn't really matter because if they fall to three, they still face Denver in the first round and they still avoid the Lakers uh, until the Western Conference Finals. So talk about why these games should matter to these top tier teams. I think for for them, it's like Ali said, it's about getting your team back in shape. I think you're going to see a lot of the teams that are firm in their positions or the teams that have slight variations in their positions they can use those games almost as a mini training camp to get guys in order again, start working on your rotations again, address specific issues you had before, you know, going into this hiatus. Those are the things that they get to work out. You know, Kawhi Leonard now will have a little bit more time on the floor with certain units. They can experiment with groupings they may not, may or may not use in the postseason. So I think that's what they'll be looking for. And, because of the schedule, the way this is going to have to be, you know, you're talking about 90 days roughly to get in all of these games that, um, so there are going to be teams that are playing pretty close to each other. They're going to see the back to backs that they missed for all these, this while all that hiatus has been going on. So I think, again, you need as many of those games to ramp up and avoid the little injuries before you get to the playoffs. You don't want to see a team's, uh, postseason position to get ruined because of some overwork. You know, having Anthony Davis or LeBron James or, or one of those guys out there for 35 minutes and they pull a hamstring and then you lose a huge TV draw. So they needed those extra bodies for that. And I think those the, the teams at the top ultimately benefit from that um, as they go into the postseason. Yeah, and just to add to that, you don't, nobody wants to see sloppy play, right? Because that's what we would have seen. You don't give these teams any kind of warm-up I'm get, I'm telling you, every, every team's going to be committing 20 turnovers or more. You're not going to see the crispness and rotations, passing, movement, all of that. So, yeah, I mean, this makes all the sense in the world. All right, going forward, uh, talked about being overworked. I'm going to spread this back to Ali. Uh, this season's potentially going to end October 12th. They still want to target December 1st. Uh, as the initiator of the 2020-2021 season. Of course, that is flexible. They want to play throughout May, and then they're going to end the season around August, and then they're somehow going to start the 2021 season, 2022 season by October. Ali, how many moving parts are still at play? Are you worried about these guys potentially playing like 162 games within like potentially 18 months? Yes, absolutely. I don't understand the rush to start the next season this quickly. I was thinking the earliest would be right uh, Christmas Day start. Now suddenly you're giving the top two teams less than a month to where the next season's training camp opens. And never mind the fact that the franchise is going to be scrambling to conduct a draft, free agency, assembling their parts, getting everything, all you know, all their ducks in a row. And then now you, you're worried about, you're adding risk, I feel like, to players' careers by going this quickly. I'm yet to hear one good reason as to why the rush Because I even heard some people saying, if we're going to keep pushing this season further and further back, if play does take you into October, we could start the next season in January. But obviously, the NBA feels different. I mean, we heard the Players Association, Michelle Roberts, say she was shocked to learn they want a December 1st starting date. So on, on on its face, I don't like it one bit. I don't see the rush for it. You're already eliminating the combine, the, uh, the summer league. Are we going to have to do similar things next time? 
and, and or I'm saying after the next season before you get into 21-22. And here's the last one. Why have a rush when there's no vaccine yet? The NBA has talked about how important, and we're seeing it right now with this expanded format, how it's important to regain, recoup, and continue to have the money coming in. The financials, right? It's all about the money. Why is there such a rush to start a season when you're probably not going to have the vaccine where you're still going to be losing 40% revenue because the fans won't be able to attend? Or best case scenario, they're going to fill up 20%, right? We've heard that rumors, speculation floating around to where arenas will be allowing 20% occupancy. Still not enough. So I don't like it, Preston, on its face for a lot of reasons, as I've mentioned. Yeah, if you just push the season back to January and you have it run throughout August, of course, you're losing those summer months in which you can go on vacation. But then you're not directly conflicting with uh, college and professional football. Uh, let's go ahead and move on and talk about the Pelicans' viability. Uh, right now, their their strength of schedule, David, uh, listed by Jacob Goldstein uh, Basketball Index, is, is slated uh, second to easiest, while uh, Memphis is right in the middle of the tier. They would have been last. But it's it's all going to come up to the odds maker. That's something I'm right about tomorrow. The Pelicans had uh, of the teams that are still in contention, 14 of those games are still possible. Of course, they can only play eight of those. The schedule maker can play a really uh, important hand in who the Pelicans face and their viability going into the playoffs. How important is this schedule going to be? I mean, the, the biggest thing is how many games you play against the teams that cramp the competition with. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, we thought it was about five. You know, five uh, games against two against Sacramento, two against Memphis, one against San Antonio. Um, I think we thought maybe one one more against Portland. I think. No, um, no Portland. Just no, no more of, Portland. Yeah, so you had just one Jazz Clippers and Magic. Yeah, yeah, Jazz Clippers. So you know, it you had five opportunities in that. What we thought and what may still end up being the schedule, we don't know. But you know, how many opportunities do you get to get against those teams? That's gonna what it's gonna come down to because no matter what. It feels like to me that the Pelicans have to win six of eight games to even give themselves a chance. Yes. You've got to win six of eight. So the best thing is to have them be against teams that you're going to be familiar with, teams that you're directly competing against. If it's against a lot of the top tier teams, maybe you get a chance to catch them off guard. But it also it, it's also going to depend on the schedule is weighted too, because teams that come out of the gate slow, you can be done in a matter of two two games. If you mm-hmm. lose your first two, you're done. So it's going to be really important how it starts uh, for the Pelicans in particular because we know um, starts of schedules have not been kind to them in the past. <laughs> so, And how many they get against those teams that they're in direct competition for that spot. Yeah, they've got two scheduled against Sacramento, two against Memphis, two against Washington, San Antonio three times uh, outside their division. They also have Utah, Philadelphia, and um, – the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, I'm writing about all that tomorrow. So some of those important ones, Ali, uh, the Clippers and the 76ers, uh, also the Orlando Magic, that one could potentially be a gimme. Uh, you you want to eliminate some of those top-tier ones, especially since they don't help you uh, against their competitors. How important is it that Pelicans do get to play Sacramento and Memphis uh, and San Antonio multiple times? Well, David already mentioned it, that direct competition is the best way for you to ensure that you grab the eighth or the ninth spot. So I love this scenario of, and that you've talked about. The Pelicans could conceivably have to beat Memphis four times, but how great would it be if they could just take the two in the, uh, the this eight up, or was it eight game upcoming series or whatever, the regular season finishing schedule. If they take those two, suddenly they're not three and a half, they're one and a half games out. 
And when you look at the rest of Memphis' schedule, you know, they play, I think, Portland-San Antonio one-time piece. But then the rest of the games, they're all against, you know, playoff locks. Utah, OKC, Milwaukee, Boston. Memphis is no certain. There's no certainty they can hang on to that eighth or maybe even the ninth seed if the Pelicans can get those first two games against Memphis. So, that I mean, that's the key one. And I'm glad you mentioned it on Twitter yesterday about how what the Pelicans may have to do. But I'm, I'm not thinking of taking it a step further. If they can grab those two, boy, it changes the, the, the whole playing field, right? So that makes then, you know, honestly, even the games more important for the Pelicans, the, one, the two against the Kings, right? And then the one against the Spurs. If you can just take care of business against those five, I feel like. Say you go five and three, just, just for kicks. I think the Pelicans will still be in really good chance or in good shoes to grab that eighth or ninth seed. It, it really is so vitally important to take care and get those wins against your direct competition. And we're just glad that the NBA is back and we're going to see some meaningful basketball. But we do st- uh, still have some specific questions, Grub. This is from Finn the Human. Uh, he's asking, who's going to get minutes? Alvin Gentry always says that a nine-man rotation uh, is the most productive, but he still always manages to get that that Frank Jackson minute in there, that Nikhil Alexander-Walker minute in there, that Jackson Hayes minute in there. Uh, Wave what goodbye co- to that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you expect to see, Grub? Again, first, you're going to have to see what the assessment is when these guys get back to camp. You know, what's their capacity to to do what they normally do? And once they're assessed and we see what they look like, I would imagine that early on there's going to be a lot of substitutions. Yes, you probably see 10 guys play in games one and two of that stretch unless he's able to ride somebody, you know, there's a hot hand who can make it and he feels like the health is going to go. You are not going to see Zion Williamson play 35 minutes his first night. You know what I'm saying? That's that's just not gonna happen. I don't see Are you any sure? way of the Pelican. I I just can't I can't see. If he's in great shape and he's been working out this whole time, I think there is that chance. That's all. On night one? On night yeah, one. On night one. I, like yeah. I, I would think games one and two, you probably would see more feeling out. I, I would imagine everybody is gonna be that way for games one and two. You that see, first game's see, against you, the Kings, buddy. We gotta get that one. True. Yeah. But I, I'm just saying. Uh, you know, we don't, we have not seen any of these guys yet. We have not seen them no, to, together in a room. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking that early on, yeah, it'll be tight. But then the end, you're going to be like the end of any, like it, it, the playoffs start basically day one. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll you know, start off, you'll try to test guys win. But yeah, that rotation is going to stay tight. Alvin's going to go with the guys he went with during that, the, the run that they had at, uh, while they were putting up those numbers. He's not going to go, he's not going back to Nikhil. He's not going back to, no. to Frank. He's not going back to Jackson unless there's foul trouble. It's just yep, not happening injury. at this stage. Yep. They cannot afford to give them minutes if they're trying to get into that nine or the eight. So, yeah, I don't see Alvin extending it other than see how much wind guys need early on. And those those would probably be subs heavy in the first half. So he knows he's got those guys ready for the second. I really think Alvin, if it's just up to Alvin, he's going to want to go with seven game, or seven player rotations. The starters, right? Drew Holiday, Lonzo, oh, Ingram, Zion, and favors. And then, of course, off the bench, J.J. Redick Hart. and Josh Hart. I think he yeah. wants to ride those guys for as much as he can. But it goes to your point, David. The question is, will he be allowed to? Yeah, I don't think still- they're going to let him ride out all seven. I mean, just seven on that first one. Because, again, if, again, the long-term goals you're talking about. And I, no, no, and I know, I mean, but I'm saying for the vast majority oh, of minutes, I'm saying maybe give two minutes to somebody else here and there because they need that oh, breather. Yeah. That's, That's it. There's going to be first That's half. It. That'll be first yeah. half stuff. 
where you give them those minutes unless the game, right. if the game is close first quarter, second mm-hmm. quarter, yeah, throw a guy out here, give him two yeah. minutes. Don't change the whole lineup, but I'm going to take Drew out for a quick two that I know this, the, the timeout is coming up. The TV timeout is coming up. I think you'll see it managed like a lot like a college game in that regard. Yeah, since Kenrich Williams and Etwan Moore are uh, pending free agents and Nicolo Melli uh, has one year remaining, I want to say at $4 million, and he was brought overseas by Trajan Langdon, I would think that Langdon would be in the ear of uh, Alvin Gentry to try to get him some minutes uh, throughout these play. eight games. Yeah, my bad. I, I should have said eight. I totally slipped on forgetting Melly. Yeah, he's going to be a part of the main guys. It's going to be eight that Alvin's going to want to roll with. And it's going to be critical what he's able to contribute because you guys are right. They're really strong through their top seven. And then when you get to eight, it is it is difficult to find who that guy is. Um, I, I won't but let Melly's played better. Even Grubb, yeah. I think, has admitted it. <laughs> yeah, I won't yes. let Grubb talk about Kenrich Williams, uh, but he is healthy and he is available. Uh, let's get to our next question, Grubb. Uh, this is from Samuel Wilcher. He says, how will injuries work? Will they be able to make roster moves? What about our two-way players? Grubb. Do you expect the NBA to let teams bring in more than 15 players? No, I don't think that they'll bring in more than 15. But what you, I think you'll still have access to those guys who are your two ways. So they could be added to that. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think that they'll extend the roster on game days itself. Mm-hmm. But I think that the NBA would allow that flexibility for your two way players because they have not met their requirement. You know, if they have not met the requirement of minutes, I don't see why they would take them away from you. Yeah, and with yeah, the whole- and to go to David's point real quick, I think it's important to have those players just in case, say you're overwhelmed with injury or say the coronavirus, right, infects yeah. your team. You need to have as many bodies there. You don't have to play them all, but have them there as backup. And here's the last point. What if your team gets off to an 0-4, 0-5 start, 1-5, right, in these right. eight games? There's no need to just keep playing Zion and Brandon Ingram 35 minutes. So give it to those lesser, you know, not lesser guys, but guys towards the end of the bench. Absolutely. Now I'm going to swing back to Grubb. I'm out of note, so I'm just going to give you the floor. But just in terms of what what the docket is, the schedule is, we're anticipating everybody's going to be uh, at Disney World by July mm-hmm. 1st, and then the games are going to start by July 31st. Uh, we don't have any plan or any information about how testing is going to take place, what safety protocols the NBA is going to institute. How confident are you that the NBA and Walt Disney World are, in fact, going to be able to pull off this entire three-month spectrum of activity? I had a great conversation actually on my show today, Friday. So if folks do want to check it out on Hard to Paint, it's not I'm not advertising, but I kind of am. But I no, had a great you, you deserve to. You've been incredible. Everybody should listen to you every chance they get. And um, so we were talking about this the, the 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 cost alone for the NBA just for the kits. And if we did, tw- you take twenty people for t- per team, and that's just that's being conservative, really, because I'm counting your coaching staff, your pl- players, whatever. Times these 22 teams, times roughly $125 per kit, you're talking about $5.5 million just for testing kits. Okay, so now on top of that, you have to make sure you've got administrators. If you do a policy like what the NHL has proposed, where they're going to do daily testing every night, and then players have to, they'll have the results by morning and be able to decide whether or not a player needs to be quarantined immediately. Um, If the NBA goes to that, it's going to, you know, you have to have all those precautions in place and those things still have to be negotiated by the union. They have not made an agreement yet. So I think that will take some more time to get done as, um, you know, it's, it's great to have the schedule, but until they resolve these issues, 
that's the going to be the big holdup. And I think the last part of that too will be the liability issue once players get in. And that's why we've seen this conversation now about tracking um, devices possibly being put on players, because I think that's going to be about liability mitigation. If players go too far away from campus, then I think that they will have some clause involved that says now you are forfeiting your protection or the NBA's liability for you going out. But if you stayed within the bubble and something, then, you know, those all things are going to happen. So it's, 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 it's a lot of work to be done. It's a lot of cost. And I think also Adam Silver's stance on not wanting to look like you're taking tests from the general population, the availability of testing is going to be very important too. Um, I don't think one test positive test will shut the NBA down, but I think at the same time, they're going to have to have a very public system and people are going to have to feel confident that the NBA is getting out uh, good results and accurate results. So uh, I'm interested to see what it's, what's going to happen. I think it can be done, but you have to be very strict in the management of those protocols. Uh, Ali, things, let me just add this question because I think this is important. Two things concern me. Are they going to do just asymptomatic testing or symptomatic testing? Because that's huge, right? They're going to have a much better chance of catching anything that goes wrong quick, more quickly by doing asymptomatic testing, hopefully daily testing. So and yeah, like I've the been NHL, hearing that they're just – what's that, David? Yeah, like the NHL, daily testing is, is really right. almost what you But I'm hearing that they're leaning towards maybe just doing symptomatic testing, which is by then it's going to be probably good. too late in my book. So that's a big concern. The other one is – Trusting these players to walk in and out of the bubble. I can understand that some of these players and teams are going to have to be there for a really long time, you know, upwards of two, two and a half months. So you don't want to necessarily be stuck in the hotel, you know, almost every single minute you're not on a basketball court. So I understand why they want to allow them if they want to go play golf, maybe go into a restaurant and then the restaurant can, you know, usually players, NBA players can get special rooms and restaurants, get, you know, warded off from the rest of the public. But what I worry about is say players, you know, the young, and let's face it, these are young guys. They, they want to go out and probably do stuff. I'm worried about just saying a handful of guys going to catch a movie, you know, to where they're going to probably be exposed. So that's a huge concern to me. If we're going to trust these players to walk outside of the bubble, you know, I just fear it's a house of cards and it's like playing with fire. So I'm curious to see how they come out with all these, guidelines and these protocols that are supposedly at least going to be drafted and presented to owners sometime this week. And Florida has seen a recent outbreak in their numbers. So the virus isn't going anywhere and they are in Florida, which is troublesome to, to be sure. My uh, chief concern beyond like, obviously uh, wanting safety for all the players is some of these games could have an asterisk associated to them. We, we all remember the flu game. We saw it previously on the last dance uh, where Michael Jordan, uh, y- you would assume that his temperature was quite high prior to that game. If somebody, let's say, gets their temperature check at 99.5, let's say Zion Williamson and Ja blow that before a game, they could potentially be removed from that game for precautionary reasons and not allowed to play just because they have a slight fever. Uh, that's, that's, that's a concern of mine, but uh, who knows? Uh, we're all just glad to have basketball back. Let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, Grub, you already said it, 1280, hard in the paint. Uh, you have been very, very busy this week. Uh, tell us about what you want our listeners to know of your work this week. Um, I guess the, the main thing this week is I, I, I just tried to be honest, and I think I owe the audience that much. Um, every day I just try to be honest, and I try to be fair, and I try to to make sure that, um, 
I speak for my audience in total. But at the very same moment, I think right now I have to be a voice for a, a group of people. And I, I, I am thankful that there have been other platforms that have reached out to me and allowed me to speak on their um, podiums and, and speak on their outlets and share my thoughts. Um, and I've been very grateful for that. But mostly this week, I, I just have to be thankful for like my wife, my daughter, and my friends, people like you guys, because no matter what, through some negative comments that I've received, some threats even that I received um, for things that I say, um, you guys have had my back. And that was before any of this. And that'll be after this. So, um, you know, as much as this has been work, it also just has been my, my privilege and, and my honor to, to be in a position where anybody would say, David, what do you think in this time? And, and have it resonate. For sure. I think you've been one of the most powerful voices uh, in New Orleans, in our community. And I know I don't have all the answers and I know I'm going to continue to say stupid things, but uh, I can sincerely <laughs> say that Ali and I, um, you know, we, we do our best. We want to help. We are here to help. We're, we're going to put our foot in our mouths, but when we do so, it's with the best intentions. And at the end of the day, uh, we're going to do our part and we're going to try to help uh, the best way that we know how. Uh, just a reminder that we have our scholarship fund. If you want to donate to me, uh, that's great. If not, please, please, please just spread the word. We want to get as many applicants as possible because it looks like our number of scholarships is going to be growing. Ali, uh, you've been very busy as well. I see you on the radio uh, pretty much every single day. What's going on with you, man? Yeah, just Steve first, on the radio. Uh, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to put my foot in my mouth like you. Sorry, that, you're alone there. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's been good that the NBA is ramping up, but that also I've been asked my opinion on what's going on in the world because it's important for everybody to express themselves, but those especially with any kind of platform to give their two cents because they do have listeners, followers. And so the more everybody keeps talking about things, the more awareness that can be raised on the problems and on how to fix them, the better we'll end up being. And I just want to make sure that if you like what you hear from us, and I know Preston's going to tell you to subscribe probably in a couple of minutes, make sure you listen to David's show too. It is exemplary stuff, guys. David is one of the smartest, most logical people that I know. And his knowledge on this very sensitive, but very deep topic you owe it to make yourself more aware, no matter how much you think you know now. And you can do that by listening to a show. So I please, I implore you to do that. Okay, All I'll right. send you, I'll cash up you now, Ali, for the endorsement. <laughs> yeah. I've been reading that. I appreciate that for real, though. You guys already know about us, so let's get out on that. Uh, David, tell us, where can our listeners uh, not only subscribe to your show, but where can they rate it? Yeah, so on the iHeart um, uh, I heard radio app. You can go on there and subscribe to the podcast. You can rate it there as well. Um, it's, it's soon. We're about to have it on Spotify, Apple. It'll be everywhere very shortly, um, which is great, but also, yeah, you can um, go and like our page on Facebook, on Instagram. And um, we're about to relaunch our website with a store too for hard to paint. So we're going to keep trying to expand it and, Quite honestly, um, the money that we raise will go to the show, but also um, we're going to be making commitments ourselves to help fighting, you know, fighting against social injustice because that's what these platforms are for, to do something bigger than ourselves. And so part of that, yeah, 
uh, any support that folks can give going forward, I'd appreciate it. Um, and, and please, yeah, tune in and tell a friend too. for listening to the bird calls on the armchair all-american network if you like what you're hearing please take a moment to rate us on itunes retweet share with your friends and most importantly subscribe today